Welcome to the 28th episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Russo, and I'm your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Today, we have a very special episode as we are joined by a good friend, Megan Rogers, who is willing to share her own story of recovery and healing. So Megan, welcome to Heavier Than I Look. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. We are so lucky to have you in studio with us today. Um, So let's just jump right in. So would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Yeah. So first of all, before I introduce myself, I love that you start every episode with, um, you know, take what you need and leave what you don't. And I'll preface everything by saying that um, all of this is kind of through a lens of, you know, my recent diagnosis with ADHD. Um, So, you know, all of this is going to kind of tie back to that. So if this is something that you think you can relate to, that's great. But if not, that's totally fine, too. Um, But yeah, my name is Megan Rogers. I'm a current senior at Notre Dame, majoring in marketing and anthro, all those things. Um, Yeah, and I've I've really had an interesting journey with um, food on this campus and just you know, throughout my life. And so I'm so lucky to have met uh, Kira. And we were a part of this um, really funky transfer program uh, at Holy Cross and kind of bonded over uh, how helpful their little dining hall situation was over there when most people didn't like it. And uh, I think you said that it was really instrumental for recovery for you. And um, it was just so funny because people always – you know, poop on that dining hall yeah. and it was great for us. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'll start out with just kind of an explanation of what ADHD is and kind of I'll tell the story in chronological order from there. But um, ADHD is a dopamine dysregulation disorder. And so a lot of people think ADHD and they think of the name, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But really that name, in my opinion, at least is is kind of unfit. It would be like calling OCD, um, you know, excessive hand washing disorder. It's just named after this really arbitrary symptom that doesn't show up in everyone. Um, and so, you know, that the actual name kind of gatekeeps a lot of people from being diagnosed and recognized. Um, and the reality is, is that it's, it's a dopamine dysregulation disorder in the sense that um, it's equally uh, a hyperfixation instead of a, a lack of attention. It's excessive attention. Um, if you're doing something that you're really interested in. So um, looking back, I now see, you know, all the crazy ways that it has presented in me and presents in so many women. Um, But we go undiagnosed because we show these symptoms that are equally valid symptoms, but they just aren't associated with, uh, you know, the inattention that we associate uh, young white boys in classrooms. So... Um, yeah, as, as a kid, um, I look back and I see so many ways that it was a really apparent in me, but just not commonly known. Um, and now especially I see the way that it from a very early age impacted my relationship with food. So I think I can, you know, start getting into that. Yeah, please do. And, you know, feel free to share whatever you're comfortable with. I think this is obviously a very, you unique but necessary lens to view 
um, eating disorders and eating disorder recovery through. But thank you for lending your voice to such an important and necessary issue to be talked about. So yeah, feel free. Take it from here. Thanks. Um, and I I had mentioned this to you before, but when I was listening to the etiological um, causes and factors for eating disorders, I really think this is one that we're going to see um, added to the list of theories. But um, ADHD, kind of to explain more about the definition, is really about achieving an optimal level of stimulation. And so if you think about um, just like dopamine firing through your brain, um, the rate at which dopamine is going through your brain um, kind of is the chemical that makes you feel normal. And so if you have too little that's flowing through your brain um, at too slow of a rate or at a weird rate, you feel uncomfortable. Um, And so for most people, you only need to be doing a certain amount of things um, or just something stimulating to to feel normal and relaxed. And so for some people, just sitting there watching a movie is really nice for them. Um, But with folks with ADHD, you have to always are doing a little bit more um, to just feel stable. And so you think dopamine and you think, you know, like weed and things like that, that, you know, uh, that are stimulating, but really it's, it's a chemical that affects everyone on a daily basis, moment to moment. Um, and so, you know, when I was little as a, as a small human with undiagnosed ADHD, I, I used food for stimulation. Um, and so I remember, you know, some of my earliest memories, I just remember, uh, always eating my snack early at school. I would be doing home, uh, like a task that the rest of the class was doing and just like have this compulsive need to go get my snack and start eating it way before anyone else did. And I remember, uh, you know, eating this big tub of rice, um, like a Tupperware leftover size thing of rice. And this boy next to me named Brady was like, you're going to eat all that. And, and I just kind of like, I remember looking at him being like, yeah. And and in my head, I'm like, I am going to eat this entire tub of rice just because, yeah, it feels right. And I don't really have an explanation for you. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting, like as children, we're, we're making these choices for ourselves just based off of our intuition. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I would I was always hungry. Um and I would come home and eat and eat and eat while I did homework uh, just to get through doing it. So I would go through, you know, half a big bag of Costco-sized Skinny Pop or um, goldfish. Yeah, lots of protein bars, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I I think the other important thing to mention is that aside from that, I was really a successful kid. Um the beauty of, you know, ADHD is that you can focus so intently on things that you're passionate about and you can really do well at the things that you care about. So um, I've talked a lot about eating, but on the other token, you know, I was super creative and I remember we had this class money system uh, in a couple of grades and I would always make these bracelets and bookmarks and things and sell them so that I could kind of run my own little business out of my desk at school. And wow, um, I started doing student government in like third grade and just was really involved in sports and theater. Um, 
you know, the little leadership programs that they have at school to like look after the kindergartners when you're in the older grades. So all, all those things I was really involved in. Um, and I remember even in my first uh, election speech saying that, you know, I, I'm the person that you want to vote for because I can eat my lunch really, really fast. And that means I can get to the student government meetings quicker. So <laughs> <laughs> you can just see that there's, it's comical looking back. Um, but right. Yeah. But the fact that those memories are so imprinted on your brain, like you can remember literally back to Brady saying, you know, yeah. are you going to eat that entire thing? Yeah. How, you know, how much emotional weight these memories carry and how those were early markers of what would then be diagnosed as yeah. ADHD. Absolutely. And so the, the I, another memory that I have, um, it's funny, like I think there is a turning point where those comments about food and weight um, are just kind of neutral and then they become something negative when you enter something like middle school. And so I remember um, in seventh grade, uh, there's actually a friend that was talking to another friend and he's going, oh, I can speak Spanish. And then he said in Spanish, um, Megan is gordo or Megan is fat. Wow. And and I can speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, well nuts. Um, wow. And in seventh grade is uh, when middle school started in, in my hometown and I that those are the years where I started waking up really early and straightening my hair every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you start shaving your legs and you start mm-hmm. really, really caring um, about what people think. And, yeah, I just, I remember those moments like that where I was like, wow, okay, so my weight is different and it's something that is, you know, uh, negative. And then that turned into... um okay, this is something that needs to be changed. Mm. So, but still, um, and I, it's interesting because this is just an episode focused on food. Um, but there are, again, like so many, so many signs that I had ADHD, but just masked, masked mm-hmm. it. Because um, as, as women, we just, you know, cover it up. And so instead of being, um, you know, if, maybe if I was in a male body, um and just blew off my homework and didn't do it because it was so uncomfortable to do it. Um, I was finishing my homework during lunch period or on the school bus. Um, I was always really disorganized and always running behind and always finishing things down to the wire. Um, but I was never, I was never not turning something in. I was mm. always turning it in perfect too. Mm. Because the perfectionism just totally. compensated for it. Um, so. So, yeah, it's, it was really, you know, my, my parents and my teachers had no reason to think that there was anything um, wrong. And if anything, the, the perfectionism, you know, gave them every reason to think that, you know, oh, she's great. She's doing great, you know. Um, and why would there be any correlation between, um, you know, the, the perfectionist behavior and, and something that's actually wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, but... Another thing that I remember from middle school now um, was I was always asking friends for food. Um, Anything that they didn't finish, uh, I just compulsively would ask, like, oh, can I have have that? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was always ordering seconds. And I think that um, 
that was a habit that I trained out of myself just to mask it away. But I really was just always so much hungrier than my peers. Um, just getting through the school day was just really hard on medicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think around, around eighth, maybe the beginning of ninth grade, I saw this Instagram post. It's kind of, it was kind of a pivotal moment. Um, I saw this Instagram post of two girls in a Halloween costume, and they were girls I'd known for a while, but they just, I remember them looking a certain way, and mm-hmm. I wanted to look like that. Mm-hmm. And I decided enough was enough. And um, really, like, again, going back to these ADHD tendencies, I have this, like, ruthless determination to do what I want to do. Um and so just the year prior, I had spent uh, every afternoon until the sun went down um, practicing my volleyball serve in my yard. So I'm super, <laughs> I'm super, you know, even if I start lower than everyone else, I was the last person on my team that was able to get their serve. I mm. remember being like the last person. Um, but I was so determined and I would go outside and over and over and over again practice and practice and practice Mm -hmm. and it would hit my basketball backboard um and I became so and I'm proud to say this because I'm not naturally coordinated I'm kind of a goof uh (laughs) I suck at dancing like (laughs) so bad um but I got so good at serving I could serve from anywhere in my driveway and hit the backboard and the square exactly wow and I I became so accurate and so strong just from perfecting the mechanics of it and I would keep these little post-it notes of every movement that my arm was supposed to be doing um that I broke through my backboard oh my god like I shattered through it oh if that's not telling I don't know yeah. what is. <laughs> so you can imagine and I did this I did this with art projects with everything that I would just set my mind to it mm-hmm. and um that ADHD focus and flow mm-hmm. uh and the satisfaction that comes with achieving something um, is so powerful that, you know, I it, it's it's really scary to think, you know, what you can do with that motivation if you use it for evil, especially against your own mm, body. Yeah. Um, so I went from, you know, doing all these things and then applying that really motivated uh, energy inward towards myself Mm. and so instead of obsessively writing out little post-it notes on how I was going to perfect my serve I started reading articles about different foods Mm -hmm. to cut and Mm -hmm. what was making me fat and all these things um and not to mention that I was aspiring after a body figure that just was not genetically possible for me um, and I think a lot of people can relate to that totally um and a, a prepubescent figure if anything and I was not prepubescent at that time either mm. um so a lot of focus on you know the thigh gap or having legs that looked a certain way mm-hmm. when really my legs are never going to look that way mm-hmm. <laughs> I have my dad's I have my dad's legs um and they're they're really um what I think I I perceived them as really masculine looking but I think they're just really toned and defined just mm-hmm. naturally um that just wasn't going to be me. So long story short, 
all that reading and obsessing mm-hmm. on online articles, I just quickly became orthorexic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, every time I see an article uh, in a magazine or at the grocery store to do the keto diet, I just sigh and I just, I, there's nothing I can do. I just walk by it. And yeah. Every time someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm going to do keto, I'm like, oh, great. Great for you. Yeah. <laughs> just don't even. Yeah. I don't even know where to start. Um, and if you're listening to this and considering doing it, I I genuinely, there's no quicker way to destroy your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, it just turns, I was running red lights all the time. Uh, it just, it, it completely removes your ability to be a functioning human and really impacted my ability to do well in school um, and just exaggerated my ADHD symptoms like tenfold. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, it made me a person that compromised all my values. Um, and and bulimia did that, I'll get to that, but mm-hmm. bulimia did that in different ways, but I, uh, I would, define myself as a passionate person as an energetic person and um when you deprive your body of all fuel uh you know it it changes your sense of self when you you don't recognize like the behaviors even right um that define who you thought you were wow so instead of shattering a basketball backboard you were shattering internally yeah absolutely so I like the same ruthless energy that mm-hmm. I used um, for good. I was now using to to destroy myself. Um, and I remember I was uh, on a run, and there's so many stories I could tell. But um, I was on a jog. Um, I was at my weakest uh, by all standards, um, and I just remember my heart, my actual like heart and chest, like aching and and being like okay I gotta stop mm-hmm. um, so it really yeah it had gotten to a point where I was like whoa like I'm like I'm I'm not like fit I'm weak mm. um, and so that picture of the Halloween those two girls at Halloween I that there's actually a period of time that was probably a year before my orthorexia began mm-hmm. um, when I had started exercising instead of changing how I was eating. Okay. Um, and I was actually doing really well. Um, I, you know, I didn't know it at the time, the whole ADHD thing. You're, it's really, really essential for people with ADHD to, to exercise and to do high intensity exercise. It's a very, it's a naturopathic way of releasing the chemicals that help balance you out. Mm-hmm. And so after school, I um, would start coming home and, and running. Um, and I was running for all the wrong reasons. Uh, and now I run for the right reasons. And mm-hmm. It's very, it's awesome. But it's uh, not a natural runner. Um, but I, this, this hill that I live on is, is very steep and it's a quarter of a mile long. Um, and... I started running up and down this hill um, and it just totally gassed me for the first while that I did it. Um, and then I started mastering it. And so I can actually like sprint up this hill, like quarter mile now. 
Wow. Um, and so hill running is something that I absolutely love now, still to this day. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually uh, moving out of my childhood house uh, in the coming months. And I, I feel very blessed that most of my most of my memories that are associated with that house are actually not inside the walls, but kind of on that hill mm. um, and that basketball hoop. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and the trees outside and everything. But but really, uh, there that that hill, so many important moments have happened on that hill. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you? Yeah. What is it like? Number one, you said that this post, this Instagram post that kind of emerged like a mutation of all of the hyper focused determination, motivation that the ADHD was like, you know, putting in place and then that mutated into fixing your body or focusing on your body. What is that like now, considering it's Halloween weekend? And I know that you said this is like eighth or ninth grade, but I'm wondering if that, you know, is like a recurrent trigger that you have mm. to face around this time, considering the fact that it was, you know, that Instagram post, seeing these girls looking a different way and then that being the impetus by which you decided you wanted to change what you looked like. Okay, so I think is your question kind of relating to those recurrent triggers in the media? Yes. Uh, so yeah, I think there's. I feel very lucky because a lot of my feed has changed, um, and to to anyone that's you know trying to change their perception, kind of from a body body dysmorphia perspective, if they're trying to change their perception of beauty, that's hard work. And what I would say to you is, at least in my experience. Um, it is it takes so long like the best medicine is just like time and patience mm-hmm. and there were periods of time where i just covered up my mirror um i had a, a and i hadn't even thought about sharing this but i have a giant mirror in my room at home mm-hmm. um that's the size of like a wall it was just there when we moved in and mm-hmm. so much pain and hours standing in front of that mirror body right. checking um, and it's, it's taken a long time. Um, it's not immediate. And that's the funny, that's the funny paradox about ADHD is the, the, it's so, so impatient. We want mm. it right. We want to be healed and recovered right now. Right now. Yeah. Um, so, and it's like, wait, I've been fucked up for 21 years. Yeah. Give it a break. Take a moment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, it, I would say, um, there's so much I could say about that, but it, it takes time um, to be going through your feed and you see, you know, a dear friend of yours that looks one way and a dear friend that looks the other way. And my eyes just don't even, they don't even perceive weight anymore, mm. really. I just kind of, I see um, what my nutritionist way back when was trying to get me to realize that you look for people's smiles. Yeah. I really do. I look at at my closest friends and I really don't, I don't give a shit about their weight. I just look at, you know, how happy do they look? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the most beautiful people in my life. I just look at them and I see complete perfection and beauty in them. Um, 
just because of what I know is inside them and what they believe and what the conversations we mm-hmm. have look like and, and the ways that they've impacted the way that I see the world and all that stuff. And so it's, it, it's, um, I think it's really hard for, for people to recover, um, when your values actually align with the eating disorder. And so mm-hmm. it was, it, recovery was a lot, was really hard. It still is, but it's a lot easier because there's so clearly a rift between my values and the disorder. And mm-hmm. so like going back to the hill, um, I lost my ability to run up and down that hill. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was so strong and I had mastered that and I was able to sprint up this hill. Um, and at my weakest, I, I couldn't do it. I was yeah. so weak. Um, so your body literally was telling you to stop because yeah. you said like your heart, like yeah. was it hurt your chest hurt? Yeah, and that was your body communicating to you like I, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, I'm dying. Yeah, I at that moment where my actual heart started hurting and my hair started falling out and I was just a, a shell of really who I was. Um, I started going to see a nutritionist, mm-hmm. um, and I had seen her once before. And actually, um, it's funny people, people, uh, you know, in the eating disorder community, happen to find the worst nutritionists that just give them the worst diets and the worst advice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I actually saw a good one that uh, she was actually trying to derail me um, when I had felt I was overweight. It was probably a year after that. Ordo comment Mm -hmm. um and she was like you know what like I don't think you're overweight at all like uh like do you feel happy wow yeah and she so she was lovely and she still she is she is great um and so I went back to her when I was really sick and um and I was in recovery for orthorexia and she was helping me through that Mm -hmm. um carbs carbs were really hard to start Mm -hmm. reintroducing and so she was helping me with that and you know my friends were really supportive as well um and again I could do another episode about how important that is Mm -hmm. to surround yourself with with great friends Mm -hmm. um if you have a friend group that is uh you know obsessed about what people think you look like and Mm -hmm. boys and again about like core values Mm -hmm. um you really you have to have an environment and parents and friends that that are in support of recovery and that align with it. Um, yeah, that's imperative. Yeah. So so I went to uh, in in or- recovery for orthorexia. I went to a Young Life event, um, and there was a food eating contest that mm. I got shoved into. I remember the story. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, so it's so sad because I'm such dear friends with the people um, that you know, we're running that Young Life chapter that in my hometown and, and great friends with people that were there, but I got pushed into this food eating contest and uh, I think it was something like six donuts. And at the time, I don't think I'd eaten like a carb, like mm. a simple carb in probably years. Um, and so I didn't know what to do and I was in full, full panic mode. And I think that's something that... Um, that, that feeling of panic, if you're bulimic, you know what that feels like. And I drove myself to, um, and this is the only graphic story I'll share. Because, um, you know, there's no point in talking about that part. But I drove to a McDonald's and make myself throw up. Um, 
And I knew, it, this is another like flashbulb clear memory, I knew in that moment that I was going to be messed up. Mm. And, and yet I was so terrified of, of what those donuts were going to do. And now mm. it's it, hindsight. So, um, yeah, it's bulimia was quickly an addiction that I developed. Um, and if you can imagine the, the stimulation rush that binging and purging provides mm. and trying to, Again, people um, people with ADHD are when they get older are typically falling into that dopamine deficit, and instead of the surplus that you kind of can have as a kid when you're doing things you love. Mm -hmm. um, Now I'm in high school. I'm taking APs. I'm Mm. in AP Chem. I'm in AP Physics, AP English, and you're doing all this stuff that's just like, oh my god, get me out of here. Yeah. Um, And white knuckling it through every day just yeah. trying to get through this like subject matter that you hate um and so of course of course I quickly became addicted and mm-hmm. and of course it was so difficult to recover and I could not recover in that setting um the only I was able to re- recover for a period of time um I I went away for summer to Mexico for a brief period mm-hmm. um, and was able to recover using the book uh, Brain Over Binge, um, which I think is just, it, and if you've read that book, um, I I think it's, it's useful in some sense to, to dismiss mm-hmm. um, binge urges, but it really didn't get to the root for me of why I was having them and why they were so powerful. Yeah. Because um, I think there was this added factor yeah. At this point, still undiagnosed, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, that's still, that book That book is great for some, I'm sure. But again, if you're like way below the normal meter of stimulation, like you're always going to be having those binge urges if you don't know what's going on. Mm. So in, in Mexico, I was, I, was, I was able to be recovered. And now I realize like I was running a lot every day and getting mm-hmm. a lot of exercise. I was teaching children uh, environmental education in Spanish. Mm. Super passionate about it. Yeah. I was in a beautiful place, um, you know, really was just at peace. Um, and then when I got back to campus junior year, I, th- I had a bright idea that I would stop exercising. <laughs> Because I thought that that was, you know, going to be the next part of my recovery was, Mm. uh, you know, I thought I was compulsively exercising for the wrong reasons. And I was. Um, And so you can imagine if I took away my only way to cope. Yeah. (laughs) With the ADHD symptoms that my binger just got so much worse. Mm. Um, So... They made up for what you were lacking in terms of the exercise stimulation, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I still run uh, to this day, and it is it is so helpful um, just to get that, like, rush of endorphins and to get out all um, the, the wiggles, as I call it, because it really does feel now, – now knowing and being able to identify – that feeling that I felt all through childhood but wasn't able to explain to anyone and I didn't know that anyone else wasn't having this. Mm. 
feels like a blood pressure thing, a cuff, mm-hmm. like a blood pressure cuff around yep. your arm, but it's around my whole body. Wow. So that's like so constricting. It's so bad. So <laughs> so now I'll I'll be in I'll be in office hours or um yeah, it's, it's it happens to me in settings like this. So picture yourself in office hours with okay. a professor. Okay. Um and you know you're trying to perform being normal mm-hmm. and so I'm not really tapping my leg or anything but I feel the jacket mm. tightening and tightening and tightening. And so pre-diagnosis that's when I would go and have this binge urge and relapse. Um, and now, uh, now I, um, I know what it is and I can identify it and I can be like, okay, time for me to go for a run now Mm. and, and, and get back to like homeostasis or whatever, um, without using food. Uh, and really it's like, you can't blame your body for, it's just trying to help you. Yeah. So it, it knows in the same, it's. This is another thing I'll touch on, but the the DBT work that I did in high school, again, pre-diagnosis, but the DBT workbooks and everything is, uh, it's the same books that they give to, you know, people that struggle with alcoholism Mm. and with cutting, actually. Mm. Uh, Bulimia is the same brain pattern, like neuroplastic pattern as cutting. As cutting, okay. And alcoholism. Wow. Yeah. And so all like the t- tools that you see out there for uh, recovering alcoholics, like, OK, like, you know, if you're trying to be recovered, like, don't go sit in a bar. Right. 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 So imagine now that. It's food. Right. Which you cannot escape from. Yeah. And by the way, just to, for those who are listening who don't know, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. So trying to, so trying to recover in high school. I would say was akin to, and of course not knowing, but was akin to trying to recover from alcoholism, but, you know, still having to go into the bar every day. Right. Um, And being a 17-year-old, you know? Yeah. 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 So I was able, after senior year, I was able to recover um, at Holy Cross because of the dramatic change in environment. And now I see, oh, that was a much better environment for me to manage my ADHD symptoms and be recovering for bulimia. It's mm-hmm. a very controlled environment, safe, et cetera. But in high school, it, it was uh it was trying to it was trying to recover from alcoholism but without leaving the bar. Mm-hmm. Um in the sense that I the exercise piece wasn't fixed. I still thought that that was a contributing factor to my illness. And so I wasn't leaning into it because I felt like I was hurting myself. Um more so I wasn't really embracing exercise there was a lot of shame around it and it felt really weird um and then the food situation was still um just as bad I would come home to parents not being home to an open kitchen full of junk food um Mm. and yeah it's even there was no there was nowhere to escape because even being at school there was junk food everywhere um Mm -hmm. and then the other big factor was a big part of success for people with ADHD is, is doing things you love. And I was still having to get through all this, uh, um, material every day, sitting still paying attention. Mm -hmm. And then I would go home, um, and just, I would get like four to five hours of sleep a night, uh, throughout high school. All, Mm -hmm. all, 
all the phases that I've talked about, like orthorexic pre that phase. And then, you know, when I was bulimic and then in recovery for that, um, I was getting so little sleep because it is so it was so difficult to get my homework done because it was just stuff that was really difficult for the ADHD brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I drowned myself in student government work uh, in the stuff that I was actually passionate about, but you know that doesn't compensate for needing to get my other homework done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, funny funny enough, like it's just it's comical that I was valedictorian. It's comical. (laughs) But it's just I destroyed myself in the process. Mm. Um, But, yeah, so that, I I wasn't able to change my classes. Um, Volleyball helped in those years, but, you know, endorphins only last so long. Um, Mm. So I could do my homework efficiently in the hours after volleyball, Mm -hmm. but that only lasted a little bit. Yeah. so yeah, I try trying to recover in while still being in the bar per se in quotes. Um went kind of like this. I would go to therapy several days a week, um doing DBT. I had little note cards um that would fit in the pocket of my phone and I look at those now and I'm just reminded of how hard it was, so mm. hard. I had everything written down on those cards like you can do it, um, you know, like ride the wave, I think yes. is something from brain yes. over binge. Yep. Yeah. Ride the wave. Um, you know, I, I would write these really long, terrible letters to myself about, uh, you know, my teeth falling out eventually or not being able to have kids. Mm. Um, still to this day, my goal is recovery so that I can be a mom. Mm. So. Wow. Yeah. I think we'll have to stop there for now. <laughs> but I feel like that's a good <laughs> stopping yeah. point. Um, and hopefully, if this conversation can be continued, we can see Megan recover um, and get out of the bar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so to be continued. And thank you again for letting us, you know, listen in on your vulnerability on your resiliency it was truly a blessing to sit here and listen to to you and I hope we can you know continue this conversation in the future thank you so much yeah Yeah. okay so all new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean Spotify Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts by 11 59 p.m each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites if you would like to listen to my own eating disorder story, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment, financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTL has its very own Instagram and Twitter account, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, like Megan has done, 
please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversations surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now.